everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. Welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for Tuesday or Wednesday or Friday or a morning or an evening. Just whenever, because after all, it's your podcast. Now, joining me today is uh, a person by the name of Sarah. And Sarah is currently involved in... She's not doing tabletop design and she's not... She's kind of in the content creator, but she's entered in a kind of an interesting space in that what she's currently doing is putting together a a kind of a publication, a magazine, an online magazine, as you will, um, which is called A Seat at the Table. And um, I decided to ask her to come on the show, and she um, and she said yes. So so here she is to to tell us a little bit more about the publication, the magazine, and obviously tell her a little bit about herself as well. So, hello, Sarah. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. What? I have no idea what is going on here. Anyway, um, thanks for coming on. Um, you know, it's um, it's good to finally kind of have you, have you on the show. Now, um, you're here to talk about a seat at the table. Do you want to start by maybe telling us a little bit about your good self, about maybe how you kind of kind of got into the hobby? Yeah. Um, so I actually have not been around in kind of the tabletop sphere community area for too long. It's been about five-ish years, five or six. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got really interested in tabletop games towards the end of high school for me, but none of my friends were super interested in playing with me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that all changed when I went to college because the particular university that I went to had a game studies and design program. And what was interesting about it is that it actually focused on board game design and not video game design, which was perfect for me because that's what I was interested in was board games. Um, and I had been around video games for the majority of my life in some form or fashion because my dad plays a lot of video games. But All right, okay. But I'm definitely more of a board game person. So I got involved with that in college, got uh, my gaming group that I have now are all my college friends that were in the same program. And... Yeah, it kind of just started from there a few years ago, so... What was the first games that you remember playing, then? What was the first um, games you kind of cut your teeth on? So, the first ones that I first played... So, I actually bought a bunch of games before I got to play them, because I 
got really excited about board games in high school. You're a proper board gamer then if you've bought <laughs> games and never played them. I mean, that's you, yeah. that's you already got your home and dry. You know, that's the, that's the whole point of it is, you know, 90% of what we do is buying stuff that we don't ever play. <laughs> yeah, but I got... I got kind of the basic ones in high school right yeah. after I started getting interested. So I got like four different copies of Munchkin mm-hmm. and uh, Catan, mm-hmm. but kind of your standard basic entry games in high school. Yeah. But I didn't get to play them for so long because nobody wanted to play with me. It was really sad. <laughs> I don't know but, how you approach the kind of the cat. It's the Catan question, isn't it? Because if people haven't heard of it. I guess the first question is how much is it like Monopoly? And it's like, um, it's not. Um, there's maybe there's sheep, um, but that's not nothing to do with Monopoly. Um, you can have wood in it, but that's not nothing to do with Monopoly. How did you even approach that? I mean, did you just like end up kind of leaving it on the table as people were visiting, so they kind of ask questions and they say, "So what's that? It's a board game. It's called Catan. Do you want to play it? No." <laughs> No, not at all. So that was that was basically what it was like with my <laughs> high school friends. Yeah, my family was a lot nicer though. They yeah. weren't super into them. They're still not uh-huh. crazy about board games, but they did play a few with me. To uh, I, I think they felt bad for me. <laughs> so I mean, what was it? I mean, what was it like kind of telling your dad? Kind of like you know, and he's like, "Come on, let's play," you know, this on here, and you're like, "Actually, I want to play, play some cardboard." Did he, <laughs> did he support you? Was he kind of like, "What, what are you doing? Why, why, what, what's with this? Why is this? Why is that? Why have you got Munchkin? What are you doing? Come on, do something with your life. Play video games with me instead." Was he quite accepting, or was did he kind of go, "That's ah, a phase." <laughs> so he has played a lot of. World of Warcraft and a lot of Diablo in his lifetime. All right, okay. And so we had already kind of had some kind of understanding about games because I played a lot of Diablo too. Oh yeah. Uh, so he didn't like Munchkin. He was willing. He was willing to give it a try and play some games with me because he likes games. Yeah. He didn't really like Munchkin. I think the luck element was uh, too much for him. But he yeah. did really like Catan. He got really into it, and he was really excited because he won that game. And it was kind of the first uh, game that he had, like, the first hobby game that he had, that we had all played together as a family, and he was really excited that he won that. Oh, that's pretty cool. Did he continue to play games with you on a regular basis then, or was that kind of his? I'm doing Catan, I've done my Catan, and going <laughs> back, going back to my no, PlayStation. He, he, uh, he still plays some games with me sometimes, so... I don't live at home anymore since I graduated college, uh-huh. but when I do go back for like holidays and stuff, I usually bring a couple of games and he's played, I think he's played Carcassonne with us. He's play tested a few of the games uh-huh. that I'm working on and he really liked Sheriff of Nottingham because he's got apparently just a wicked poker face and he's <laughs> like, he doesn't even need a poker face because he played the whole game and didn't lie a single time. He just won because everybody in the family thought he was lying, so they called him out a lot. And he was just like, nope, I'm just playing by the rules, playing by the law. That must be a bit of a soul-destroying <laughs> kind of moment in your life where you've actually spent the entire last 45 minutes completely telling the truth for time after time. 
people automatically thinking that you're lying through your teeth in order to kind of like take some kind of goods in a bag past the sheriff. You know, that must have <laughs> walked away. But yeah, I kind of, I kind of won that. But at what cost? <laughs> but at what cost? Shakes his head. Um, <clears throat> what about your own collection? I mean, it sounds you, you mentioned magical war games you're working on for yourself, but did your once you you know, obviously when you're hitting college and you're going to do the course, did that mean that part of doing that was increasing your own collection? I mean, did doing the course was there any um, exposure to the industry itself? Then was there any connections with the kind of the board gaming industry as you were doing the course, and you got samples and examples and things like that to play as you were playing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a board game. It's a gaming club that's kind of unofficially attached to the program itself. All right. Okay. And they have just this enormous board game closet just full of all kinds of games and they get funding every year to get more so i was lucky enough that as a poor college student i had access to a bunch of games i didn't need to buy which was nice but then also since the program was focused on designing games and playing games that meant that going to cons and meeting like people in the industry and just kind of going out and seeing what was new at cons counted as academic study. So it was particularly cool to do the program because I got university funding to go to cons and that doesn't meet sound like a, that, that doesn't sound real at all. This is like <laughs> no right. I've fallen asleep with I my desk and you're just I'm like out of college. I'm gonna have to wake up in five minutes and I'm gonna oh my goodness I've got this podcast with Sarah to do and I'm just like currently dreaming. You're actually telling me you got funding to go to conventions. <laughs> um, I take it this course is quite popular. <laughs> Is it still running? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is, it's picking up steam now, which is really exciting. But mm. it is, I think the only program, I'm from Alabama. That's where I went to, oh, right. okay. you know, okay. to university. So it's at the University of Montevallo in Montevallo, Alabama, for anybody that's interested. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's picking up steam and growing, which is really exciting. So at the time, um, when you were kind of going through the kind of the playing time, did you have to teach it, you know, did you have to treat it almost like a case of, yes, I'm playing this game, but I'm keeping an eye on the mechanics side of things. And did you also end up having to play games with maybe mechanics or themes you didn't particularly enjoy just to kind of understand them more? Yeah, so I, especially when I was in the workshop class, so part of it, Part of the program is a year-long two-part workshop class mm -hmm. where the whole idea is that you're learning about all kinds of different game mechanics in board games. And the the big kicker about it is that you have to churn out a new prototype every two weeks for a year, which was crazy. Um, so we had to do a lot of playtesting with everybody's different, um, like their different prototypes. And we also played a bunch of different games with different types of mechanics when we were mm -hmm. studying the different kinds of mechanics. So I did play some games with mechanics that I like a little bit less than others, but mm -hmm. then there were other times where I got to play games that I really liked and got like college credit for it, which was pretty cool. 
I'm but yeah, still sometimes... in shock. I'm sorry. I'm still in complete <laughs> shock that of what you that <laughs> what you're telling me because this sounds absolutely fantastic. Um, was it kind of like then, kind of like practicals in kind of like um, a kind of an art type environment, a creation type environment where you were kind of putting together like the prototypes, and then you were. Was it kind of like a group work where you actively sought criticism from other people within the group as to what they kind of enjoyed and in kind of that respect? Yeah, so kind of, so the process that we went through was we had two weeks to design a prototype and we got kind of a loose theme each time. So maybe one time we were given a baggie with like a few cubes and a die and some note cards and said, make a game out of this. Or some, we were given like a theme where we had to make a co-op game. Uh, So we got kind of a different theme every time. And then at the end of the two weeks, we spent one whole class period where everybody gave their game to a different group of students in the class. So you Mm -hmm. couldn't play test your own game. And then everybody had play test feedback forms about like what they liked and what they thought of the mechanics and the rules that you had to write. Uh, and all that kind of stuff. So you had to pass it off to different people in the class, and they had to fill out all the forms. Uh, and then we would kind of talk about the games and the playtests that we went through at the end, too. So did that get you in the mindset of when you were writing kind of like rule sets and things like that? It had to be completely understandable from the beginning that when, oh, people, yeah. when people were playtesting your stuff, you couldn't be kind of like um, <clears throat> eagle-eyed over the shoulder kind of thing, just pointing yeah. things out where they were maybe not doing kind of doing kind of things with with you creating kind of so many proto I mean how many did you do was it must must have been at least about 15 20 I would have thought um it was at least I don't know it was at least 10 I think wow in the span of that year it might have it might have been more I'm not sure but a couple of those uh, you had the option to design yourself or to pair up with other people in the class. So a couple of those were co-designs with mm-hmm. some of my friends too. So it wasn't entirely me the whole time. Okay. And how many of those did you kind of take forward, uh, you know, late and, and kind of like work on once you had developed the kind of the prototypes? Um. So... I came out, the final, the final project of the game, of the class was to take a game that you had worked on and then Mm -hmm. you had to go to an online thing and like actually get it printed or like game game crafter or something yes yeah game crafter all right okay so the final project was to take your game and put it through game crafter and then you had a final like a polished kind of prototype that you could show people so i came out of it with a polished prototype and i took that one to i think i took it to dice tower con that Mm -hmm. summer Mm mm-hmm and I was going to go forward with that one, but I was lucky enough that I met um, some some actual designers at at Dice Tower, and they gave me some feedback. And I decided, you know, what, I'm I'm maybe going to step away from this one. I learned a lot since going out of that class because I took that class maybe like my sophomore or junior year, and then I got m- increasingly more involved with going to cons and talking with other designers and publishers after that. So I haven't really taken a whole lot of my games forward from the class. Mm -hmm. Those are mainly just good for like learning the basics and kind of getting a feel for what games I like to design and 
maybe which mechanics or themes I don't really like to work with that much. So it was mostly good for just kind of figuring out my design preferences. So what would what are the main ones that you would go for? I mean, do you find yourself when you're kind of sketching out a game or putting stuff together, is there a particular kind of style mechanically that you, you would always find yourself gravitating towards? Yeah, I like to work with cards a lot, but not like really complex. I like to design the games that I would want to play mm-hmm. and that are fun for me. So those tend to be ones without a lot of like direct player conflict or a lot of combat and they're more focused on like building engines or i really like set collecting a lot as a mechanic oh yeah okay so i i like doing that one too so i mean are there other games currently at the moment that you kind of from with your critical eye on you kind of really have enjoyed kind of playing or you'd really kind of like to get to the table and have a have a have a go of so there's one that I recently just started playing and I've I've gotten kind of excited about this one. I didn't it's so it's Nemesis. It was the Kickstarter. It was a Kickstarter and was that my the partner base one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So my partner just got his copy in and we've been playing that a few times and I didn't really like it at first. Uh-huh. But then I've I kind of figured out a different way to look at it. I was playing to win in the first game, which I think is the wrong way to play that game. Uh, I think it's it's a lot more fun for me and the rest of my group if we play to create like a fun story. And so that's how I've been playing since then. And that one is just so fun. So I really, I really like that one. What's so fun about it? I know it's strange um, to say, kind of. I guess it's not very good. <laughs> from uh, from your point of view. What what do you kind of really enjoy about when you're playing it? I just really like the story that you kind of create as you go. So both times that we've played so far, I think it's two times. I think we played two times. Maybe three. But either way, um, every time, every time that we come out of that game, we have a different, like, almost cinematic story that, um, that we've kind of created just by playing the game and going through it. So everybody has, these um, personal objectives that you have to try to win as well as like keep the ship alive, like semi cooperatively so that you don't have everybody explode and everybody lose. But then there's also those gigantic aliens that um, they like pop out of the vents and there's like a giant queen miniature that you can get that just will destroy you. And it is just hilarious. The stuff that, that we've, like the stories that we've come out of with it. I've heard, I've heard there's like betrayal mechanics in it as well. So mm-hmm. you can you have kind of like your objectives, but then you also have kind of like your own secret objectives as well. Yeah, yeah. So that you know you can say, well, um, you've got to get to the cryo tube, or you've got to get to the the escape pod, or but you've also got to make sure that there's only two of you left, or you've got to make mm-hmm. sure that you know, if there's another one with you left, they've got to be impregnated and you've got to protect that person at all costs <laughs> kind of thing. And I've heard it's quite kind of like cutthroat and kind of like um, kind of evil. There's um there's another game coming out which seems to have kind of similar type mechanics called Life Form, um, which seems, I kind of, I like, 
I kind of like the idea of taking what appears to be kind of like a miniatures people moving around a board type of thing and adding in complexity to um, to kind of force people to take strange decisions. Like Dead of Winter did mm-hmm. that really, really well, where it was a case of, um, yeah, you need to go to the hospital to get medical supplies. And it's like, well, actually, I'm going to the garage because I need petrol. And it's like, well, why, do you, why are you getting that? And it's like, because you don't know about it. I've got a secret... I've got a secret mission I've got to follow where I've got to like stop, you know, got to betray the group and make mm-hmm. them kind of lose a couple of points of morale in order to kind of win, which I think is kind of, kind of, kind of interesting. Um, in terms of mechanics, I mean, are there things that you're seeing? Um, okay. What, in your opinion, is it the, is it, do the mechanics kind of matter in terms of, making something new and exciting? Is it a combination of stuff? I mean, for instance, um, I spoke recently to Elizabeth Hargrave um, about Wingspan, mm-hmm. which to me seems to be a mechanics, you know, the mechanics seem to be generally kind of worker place, you know, kind of worker placement kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of dice going on. But the theme itself seems to have catapulted that alongside the mechanics into something kind of wonderful. Well, on the other side, you do get games where they try and play about with the mechanics to make them kind of, kind of different. So, to you, I mean, is there stuff that you've that you're looking at which you're kind of excited about in the industry just now? Um, well, so I, when you started asking this question, I was actually going to bring up Wingspan. So <laughs> okay. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't played it myself, but I am very, very excited to play it. I, th- I think my friend is like foaming at the mouth to get a copy. Yeah, I think uh, everybody is. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I don't know, I tend to place a little bit more emphasis on theme than mechanic. Mm-hmm. Just because uh, as a player myself, and a lot of the people that I play with in my specific player group, uh, we tend to really like the stories of games and kind of what you create narratively. I mean, we enjoy mechanics too. Uh, and I'm always down for like a good engine builder or something, but there's only so much I think plain dry mechanics can do. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. I think it's I think it's definitely like a combination of the theme and the mechanics. So I am very excited about Wingspan because I'm hoping that it'll kind of prompt the industry to start embracing different kinds of themes. We've I think, at least from the games that I've started seeing over the past few years, there's kind of been a pattern of going with the same kind of general theme each time. And that's cool because those themes work and people like them. Other, Obviously, otherwise they wouldn't be coming out with them. But there's something really exciting about seeing the industry kind of tap into themes that we haven't seen before. And I'm really... Um, I'm really excited that Wingspan is getting so popular because I'm hoping that that'll kind of push us in that direction as an industry a little bit more. Is it a case of, um, I, I think it's a mixture of the commercially commercially viable as well, as well mm-hmm. as kind of are people going to be interested in kind of looking at this game in the first place? And I think, um, I think um, there's no doubt that Wingspan is, is, is kind of lit the fire of a lot of people's imagination, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's also been after they've kind of 
played it as well. And I think that it's one of these strange ones that um, it's good that it's good that Jamie Stegmaier has kind of taken up, kind of wingspan, published it, put it out there, because um, I think that automatically opened the doors for mm-hmm. a lot of people to even try it. Because obviously, you know, somebody Jamie puts a game out, and people are automatically saying, "Well, I need to kind of um, to kind of play it," you know. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, I mean it. There are games that are trying to come out with like new themes that haven't really been approached before too, but it is just so easy to get lost in just the sheer amount of games that are coming out every year. And so if you get a lot of games coming out that have a theme that's been established that people like, um, it's, it's gonna, I think it's a lot easier for those kind of uniquely themed games to get lost in that too. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and uh, it's really strange with the number of games that are going out that are coming out. There's there can sometimes be a tendency for people to play it safe when they're picking, mm-hmm. because let's face it, it's not um, buying a board game isn't like say um, trying a new pizza or something like that. It's not a case that you know if you if you buy it and you don't like it, it's you know it's not a case that you've put a, like a a couple of um, you know, you paid a couple of bucks and then that's it, you didn't like it, so you can chuck it away. I mean, usually it's a reasonable investment. I mean, board game prices are kind of on the, or as, as everybody's aware, they're kind of on the up and up, you know, and it's not it's not strange for a big Kickstarter to be kind of asking for well over $100 for a pledge. So I think sometimes um, people people need reassurance that they're buying something that they're really going to enjoy it so i think yeah. sometimes maybe the next I, I i wouldn't be surprised if there's games like wingspan in terms of what they would do that maybe haven't caught the eye of as many people maybe because they haven't had you know they haven't been kind of pushed out there by like say you know stonemaier games it's kind of I don't know. It's just the industry is still growing and changing and stuff like that, which is always kind of, mm-hmm. which is always kind of fun. In terms of, I mean, in terms of the design side, I mean, are you are you going to be working on on actually making something yourself? I mean, are you going to are you continually kind of tinkering away on the background? Do you still kind of pick up a pad and a paper and and kind of sketch away at something in terms of kind of like design ideas and stuff? Oh, yeah. Um, I Unfortunately, I don't get to do it quite as much as I did when I was just spending time while I was at uh, college doing it because I have to mm. work like a day job now. But I do do it like as a hobby in my spare time. And I have, uh, I think, two that I'm working on right now. And I'm hoping that at least one of them is close enough that I can maybe start pitching it soon. And when you're, I mean, when you're putting the stuff together, I mean, do you... Is it important for you to kind of get the kind of components looking as good as they can? I mean, are you still kind of do you still listen back to kind of lectures about talking about presentation and stuff like that? I mean, is that if you're working on something, will you try to put it together so it looks brilliant, or do you think that kind of matters that you know if the mechanics and the gameplay is good enough, then it doesn't really matter kind of what the game kind of looks like? Um. Well. So for the majority of the prototypes that I work on, 
I don't really put a lot of effort into how it looks, at least in the beginning stages. So, like, I, I'll type the cards and stuff so it's readable and put in a few icons, but um, I don't really put in a whole lot of effort into what it looks like just because I know at least during the majority of the part in the beginning, I'm going to be iterating and making a lot of changes so often that it's just not worth it for me to put in that effort then. Um, I mean, if... Once I reach to the, once I get to the point of like actually trying to pitch what I'm working on, I might try to doll it up a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I tend, I tend to be the person that is at least with prototypes, just going to put in like what I need to put in so that it gets across what it needs to get across. And then anything extra is just kind of a little bit more time consuming than I have. Did they teach you about pitching and things like that in the course? I guess they assumed if you're going to be doing a board game design kind of course that you're going to potentially be pitching. So did they teach that business side of the course as well when you were doing it? Um, Not so much in the class itself, but when we went to conventions, um, we tended to go to a lot of panels. Mm-hmm. And I, I went to a lot of pitching panels. So I did get to learn about it some just by like going to conventions and going through those panels through the program itself. Uh, it tended, the actual course material tended to be a lot of like history of board games. Uh, we took like a math behind board games. So dice and probability and stuff like that. And, um, then just kind of the design aspect, but we did have some guests come in. They're getting a lot more guest speakers now, which I'm jealous of, but, Mm. Uh, we had, like, somebody came in one day from Rain Studios, which is a smaller um, kind of company in Alabama, and they had run a couple of successful Kickstarters, so they came and talked to us about Kickstarters. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had, uh, I think we had somebody that was running a small video game company come in and talk about, like, the day-to-day realistics of trying to go full-time into game design. Uh, so we had kind of some... We had a lot of different kind of things that we touched on. Okay. Okay. You've obviously, I mean, you've gone from game design to looking at going into publishing. I mean, what was the kind of the, where did that come from? I mean, where did you decide actually, well, what I'm going to do? Um, You know, what you're going to do kind of, I'm going to do something different here. I'm going to, you know, go into producing kind of articles, information and things like that. How did that kind of all come about? Well, so part of it is that I was also an English major in college. So I've been working on kind of the academic writing side for a few years. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I think participating in the game design program in college and particularly how quickly I got into the different kind of nooks and crannies of the industry since since I wasn't involved in tabletop gaming for too long before I started the program. And then as soon as I started, I got like right into going to conventions and mm-hmm. working on prototypes and showing stuff off. I didn't have a whole lot of time to kind of get accustomed to the culture of it, specifically yeah. the culture as it comes to like inclusivity and um, diversity and representation. So I didn't have a whole lot of time to get accustomed to that. 
before I was jumping right into like presenting my stuff at conventions to an audience that I didn't know. And I had early on in my kind of convention attendance a few, I guess you would call them encounters, I guess, with some, with like different aspects of sexism within like the playtesters and um, just seeing it around conventions and stuff. And I was really taken aback by that because at least for me, my player, uh, my player group and the people that I had been working with as a, like a player and all my designer friends and stuff. um, I'm lucky enough that they're very inclusive and they're very um, supportive when it comes to making sure our spaces are diverse and welcoming, but not everybody's lucky enough to have those spaces. And I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that in the beginning. So it was, it kind of took me aback a little bit. And so um, that was only like one or two years ago that that happened. And so I've been learning more about the different issues of inclusivity and representation and stuff in the industry. And just through kind of having, facing that harsh reality so quickly right after getting into the hobby, um, it, I, I really felt like something needed to be done. And so that's kind of why I've been working on this. It's a, is the idea is it like an awareness thing is it to make people aware of do you feel that there just needs to be more of a voice out there for people from you know from kind of diverse kind of backgrounds is that Mm -hmm. what kind of the aim is to do yeah that's that's part of what our goal is it's a large part of it so our goal is to really work with the people that are directly affected by these issues. So we work mm-hmm. with women, p- people of color, LGBTQ plus and disabled gamers. And I feel like a lot of times in these discussions about diversity inclusion, um, it kind of just becomes an echo chamber where the people that are directly affected by these issues and that should have more of a voice kind of get drowned out by the majority. And um, the majority's intentions may be well or good, but I think that the important part of these discussions is to actually hear from the people that are directly affected by it. So that's that's a large part of what we're trying to do is just kind of um, provide a space where the people, like the underrepresented gamers that are directly affected by this, have a place to speak openly and and safely about the experience that they face in the industry. Uh, because like like you said, um, and I'm guilty of this in some ways myself, and I'm trying to work on it, but it's really easy to not acknowledge a problem if you're not directly affected by it. Or like I was saying before, um, that I've personally done in the past, and it's part of what I'm trying to work on, is that a lot of people can say, like, it doesn't happen in my gaming group, so it's not a problem. Uh, that kind of false um, equivalence. And so what we're really trying to do is just kind of get these voices out there and get these stories out there of what actually happens to people so that uh, so that we can just kind of raise a little bit of awareness and show that, like, no, even though this may not be happening, like, directly in your site or your line of vision, it does happen. It's a problem that is throughout the industry as a whole. Uh, so that 
kind of providing that space to do that is is one of our main goals. Do you, are you going to kind of, do you also have to make sure that you're mindful that you're balancing up kind of positive aspects of things as well? Oh, yeah, Because I think yeah, there, yeah. there is a danger to be in the situation where um, you have kind of like, well, this isn't happening here and here's something else that happened. And, you know, people are like, well, okay, this is fantastic. But then you're moving away from turning us from being something that, people should be heard to then we are now kind of like a victim squad and let's hear the latest thing as to why we're being kind of, we feel as being kind of treated quite, you know, we're being treated kind of unfairly or we're not getting the same access or we're not being taken seriously or, you know, or or that kind of thing as well. Yeah. So we have three different sections in the magazine uh, the first one primarily focused on sharing those experiences on being in the industry. Mm-hmm. And so that's, um, that's the area for the personal essays about experiences. They can be, uh, the stories about, uh, maybe negative encounters that you've had in the industry, whether they mm-hmm. be, uh, sexist or racist or anything like that. Uh, but they can also be experiences that have kind of, restored your faith in the board game industry. So they don't have to be all doom and gloom. They could be Mm -hmm. a story about how somebody was um, surprisingly very welcoming in a situation where you didn't expect it to be, or um, ways that somebody particularly, like actions that somebody took to make you feel included. Uh, So there's that kind of area where you can really do either or. But then we also have the on celebrating creator section, And that one is specifically to kind of shine a light on the work that's being created just so that we can get it out there. So that is for the people in our audience, for women, people of color, LGBTQ plus and disabled gamers to really promote and celebrate the work that they're doing. That's the whole idea of the section is to celebrate what's being put out there already by us so that we can um, kind of promote it and share it with everybody. So that can be, like, if you're an illustrator, you do artwork for games, um, any kind of tabletop games, it could be board games, it could be RPGs. Um, You can submit your artwork and we can put it in there. Or if Mm. you want to share an RPG publication you have coming out, or maybe if you've run a blog or YouTube channel or something, then we can put that out there too and say, not only are... Like, not only can we shine a light on the problems that are happening, but we can also shine a positive light on the work that's being put out there already by the people, um, by our audience. So we try to kind of balance the, the good with the bad a little bit. But also, you know, there's, I think it's a very, it can be a very, very complex issue. And I, you know, I kind of, that's why I wanted to speak to you about the magazine, because I thought it'd be, you know, I'm really interested to see what you guys are going to be are going to kind of be doing I mean is it have you got plans to is it going to be something that's going to happen on a monthly basis are you, are you kind of is it very very early doors I noticed that you're kind of advertising for people to to kind of write and get involved in the editorials and stuff like that is that like in what stage are you at with the kind of the magazine well so we're hoping that we can get our first issue out in June so currently since we're just trying to like get our feet under us and get off the ground we're planning on only doing 
two issues per year. So one in mm-hmm. the summer and then one in the winter. I'm hoping yeah. that kind of as we pick up some steam, we'll be able to increase that to um, just a, like multiple, like more than two issues per year. But right now it's just two. Um, we are finalizing our editorial staff right now, mm-hmm. which means that we're going to be able to start um, like reviewing and evaluating the submissions that come in for the summer issue. Uh, we're hoping that we can get that summer issue out in June ish around mm-hmm. there. And, um, but yeah, we're, we're accepting submissions right now, uh, to any there. I, I took, I talked about on being in the industry and on celebrating creators. Um, but that's yeah. only two of our sections. There's also the on news and insights, uh, for sharing industry, like relevant industry news or, um, like suggestions on how to make your gaming circle more inclusive or just articles like relevant articles. Um, so we're accepting submissions for any of those and they'll be put towards that summer issue. You're not doing a bit on angry, bitter Scottish men ranting away (laughs) at the clouds in the corner kind of section. No, unfortunately right now we're not. (laughs) I didn't, I wouldn't be surprised if you, I'd be very surprised if you did. I'd actually be questioning your motives, kind of thing, you know. Um, I mean, from a commercial point of view, um, I mean, I know you're saying at the moment it's going to be a passion project. So, is it going to be mm-hmm. a case of, I mean, have you have you had quite a lot of submissions already? I mean, are you quite, um, you know, have you already had a good pick and choose of, you know, what's going to come in so far? Uh, well. We've only started advertising over the last couple of weeks. So we only just went live a few weeks ago. We have had a pretty decent number of editorial applications, which was what we were trying to get first. Um, We've had at least some, like a few people be interested in submissions. But since we're wrapping up the editorial hiring process, we're going to really be focusing on submissions. So we haven't gotten a whole lot yet, Mm -hmm. but we're just starting. So I'm hoping that we can get... um, a decent number over the next couple of months before June comes around. And as I say, I mean, from a commercial point of view, are you going to look at kind of people, companies advertising within the kind of the site? Is is it going to be a kind of a revenue? Are you looking at revenue first? Are you looking at content first? Are you kind of exploring, balancing up the commercial with the, with I guess kind of putting together the magazine in the first place? Um, well, right now we're, we're more content driven. Mm -hmm. So we're not really worried about kind of the business aspect of right now, at least the editorial staff is entirely volunteer. Uh, and we're going to be distributing at least for the first couple of issues, just via our website and via our Mm -hmm. newsletter. So Mm -hmm. we don't really have a whole lot of costs right now to worry about. So we're really trying to focus on like making sure the content's good, making sure we get the news out there and we kind of build, uh, build a following and build kind of a community inside the industry. Uh, and then maybe along the line, we can try to, um, figure out what the business aspects of it will look like. But as of right now, we're just kind of working on it as a passion project. That sounds cool. Are you going to be looking at, I mean, I take it you've got big plans. <laughs> For this, there is, there is, I have no doubt 
that there is some kind of whiteboard out there that's got lots of writing <laughs> on it, or there's you know there's a there's a cork thing that's got like little post-it notes all over it. Mm, so if you a, just said right, okay, clipboard. let's. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew there was something. I mean, is there gonna be, there's a there's gonna be a con, isn't there? I, I'm guessing there is going to be something down the line. There is, must, must be a big, huge thing that you said, right, this is the ultimate thing. There's, I want a statue kind of thing. And then, like, okay, let's go down to actually getting the first issue in June kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of building up to the statue, is that way? That, yeah, <laughs> is I'm, that hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping that's what's happening. That's what my is plan is. Good? Okay, okay, okay. Um, is it, I mean, in terms, though, of kind of going forward, I mean, are you looking at kind of building this into kind of like a network thing? Are you looking to expand it kind of maybe beyond the kind of the magazine or are you just going to see how that goes and then and then kind of take it from there? Well, so right now we're focusing primarily on the magazine content. So we're really trying to get the word out about the problems that our audience are facing and the um, the different ways that people can help with this problem as well. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, our next kind of step after this. So we're working on primarily getting the word out about the problems and the issues that everybody's facing. And then after that, we're going to try to um, branch out, maybe work with some cons or something like that and start working on kind of educating about the issues a little bit more and trying yeah. to get some some practical solutions out there that people might be able to start kind of employing into their personal gaming circles. Yeah, I mean, I've seen kind of like pronoun kind of name badges now. Um, I think Bebo kind of tweeted something about that just like a couple of months ago and, you know, other, you know, other things that are happening. But yeah, um, if that's, you know, that sounds kind of like an, a very interesting direction to kind of take things in. Um, if, in terms of, um, if people want to help, support, or get involved, or anything along those lines, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Where do you exist on the internet webs? <laughs> so we have a website, it is uh, www.assattmagazine.com. That's a seat at the table shortened. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has all of our information about um, the submission process, uh, what the magazine is doing, and the different stuff that we're looking for. And it also has a contact page with our email. Um, it, the email is just contact at assattmagazine.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... You can go on there, kind of browse around what we're looking for. The best way to support us right now is to really just encourage people to submit to the first issue and then also to just spread the word so that we can really get people involved in the submission process. Uh, but then after that, uh, sign up for our newsletter and we'll, we can get the word out for when we need, for when we have different projects that we need some support for. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I mean, once you get the first issue out, you shall have to potentially pay another visit back to us so we can <laughs> yeah. have another discussion about it. Unless, of course, you've got other podcasts to talk to. I'm not. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, in all seriousness, we'll make sure that we put um, 
Yeah, I'm not better. Um, we'll make sure that we put all of the, the notes and nobody knows what that means at all. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, we'll make sure we put all the links in the show notes so that we've got notes to show. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to and what we're doing and where we are existing, then go to the internet webs and search for We're Not Wizards. You will find us on our website, which is we're not wizards.com. You will find us on Instagram, which is We're Not Wizards, and Facebook, which is We're Not Wizards, and Twitter, which is We're Not Wizards, and YouTube, which is We're Not Wizards Tabletop Podcast. For some reason, I don't know why that is. Um, <laughs> You can find us, uh, you can email us, magic at we're not wizards.com. You can find us on the various podcast catchers like Stitcher and Speaker and Acast and Podknife and Podbean and Castbox and Spotify and Google Podcasts. And we're everywhere. We're spreading like a virus in the Matrix Part 3. That's what we're like. We're like Agent Smith. We must be stopped. Um, if you have listened tonight and you like what you've listened to, there's a couple of things you can do. The first one is tell other people. You know, we generally, um, we only grow if you decide to tell other people about the show. Um, that's a rhyme I didn't intend. And um, the other thing you can do is you can jump onto Apple Podcasts and you can give us a subscription, which is lovely. Or you can give us a rating or a review. If you are going to be giving us a rating or a review, don't give us 10 stars because it makes me kind of like big-headed and uh, I don't need a bigger ego. Uh, but don't give us one star because I'm really ugly when I cry um, but give us something in the middle like a five because it's um, average and uh, we're just a little bit average but the person who's not been average is the rather wonderful the rather fantastic Sarah Perry <laughs> thank you very much for coming on yeah thanks for having me um, there's only two more things to do the first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Sarah? No, definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> no, no chance. That's that's a bit exclusive, isn't it? <laughs> no, everybody else except wizards get in trouble for that. Um, and the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Sarah. Say goodbye, Sarah. Bye. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, and... Come kind of June time, um, check out a seat at the table, you know, um, and we will make sure that um, everybody's aware of it when it is arriving and it does appear. But until the next time, goodbye. A wizard is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Mm-hmm.